So when we meet Jesus and we declare that He is the Son of God, immediately you become a son or a daughter. Immediately your identity is given to you. That we are loved and that we are grounded and rooted in His love and we know that we're His kids, then all of a sudden we get to understand what we're made for, what our purpose is, which is where inheritance really begins. Intimacy says God chose you and He loves you. Jesus Christ died for you because God loves you that much that He wants relationship with you. You can't perform it. You can't earn it. You have to receive it. Listen to all you friendly people talking to each other. Let's put an end to that right now. None of this, none of this chatter. Hi, everyone. It's so good to be with you this morning. I have the honor of being able to close out our series on Hebrews. We are at the end of Hebrews. How many of you have enjoyed this series, um, walking through? I mean, I know I have, oh man, I have learned a lot. I have been challenged by our walkthrough of this. We are, um, you know, as we go into the theme of it, Hebrews is a better covenant people and carriers of his presence. And I have felt a little bit like um, this process walking through Hebrews has almost been like a detox. Um, I know that I grew up in a lot of religious uh, legalism. And if any of you have experienced what I experienced in my life, walking through this, this teaching of understanding that, oh, that, that Jesus has accomplished it for us, that we're not obligated to religious duty over and over and over again. And just the beauty of Jesus having accomplished it for us is such an amazing relief. And so I know that as we've walked through this, um, even knowing what I know about scripture and even having the relationship with Jesus that I have, it's been such a good refresher and release to my soul. And I hope that it has been for you. Um, but today is the end, the end of Hebrews. And we have been in this for like, I mean, if for every chapter, this is week like 13 of this. And I have the job of summing it all up for us today. I am not up to the task. So um, what I want to do, thank you, I believe in you. Um, you can do it, you know. Um, what I want to do is I, I want to kind of reflect back a little bit on it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to read through chapter 13 and then I just want to sum up some of the, the more important highlights that I feel the Lord is laying on my heart this morning. Uh, but something I want to say about this before I do that, I had a Bible professor in college that used to say that the, the numbers of the verses and the chapters, he thought that maybe like the Bible translator was on the back of a donkey on a journey and that the little bumps in the road were the verses and the big bumps were the chapters because that's the only like, it has no rhyme or reason to it. And sometimes when we're going into a chapter, we have to understand that that isn't the start of the thought. We have to go backwards into the previous chapter to, to start there. And so when I start reading today, I'm gonna to read from uh, chapter 12, verse 28. But before I do that, I, w I just wanna say a few things about kind of what sets us up into this theme because I can't go over all of chapter 12. But David did such a good job last week with chapter 12 and talking about this theme of the discipline of God. And I appreciated so much when he said that, you know, there's a verse in chapter 12 that says that we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. And then David took the moment to stop and recognize, no, that's not true. So many of us, and I know this from 
from the stories that I've heard in my own story, many of us did not have those, those experiences with earthly fathers, whether by absence or by abuse or by misunderstanding of what discipline was. Many of us had traumatic experiences with discipline that wasn't discipline at all. It was abuse or punishment or a punitive father. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about God. God is not punitive like that. God is a, God is a, a forger of our character. And through his discipline, his goal is to bring us into maturity. And he has a heart that is bringing the best in us out, not trying to crush us for the worst in us. And so the context of that, even when we get to the end of verse 28 from chapter 12, which says, um, God is a holy devouring fire. I have to make that disclaimer to you so that we can understand that when it says that, it's not a fearsome thing. That's a refining thing. That's the refiner's fire. That's the purifying fire that brings the gold up in us and burns out the crap. That's the discipline of the Lord. He is... disciplining us and forging our character so that the pure gold of his intention for us is what rises to the surface and what, what becomes the trueness of who we are, not the impurities. And he doesn't punish us for the impurities or failures. He refines us to remove them. Amen? Can we, can we, yes, okay. Okay. So there's so much that goes into Hebrews, but if we can keep this, these themes in mind, that as we've been walking through Hebrews, it's done this incredible job of presenting this theology for us that, that looks at the old sacrificial religious system and the futility and the work and the, the angst of it all, and then contrasts it with the finished work of Jesus. That we are now in this covenant where we get to walk into the rest, into the finished work of Jesus. And the contrast of that comes into this, and, and we have this huge buildup to where we are now, which is the closing chapter of this incredible letter to these people. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read it straight through out of the Passion, which is um, a beautiful paraphrase, um, beautiful, passionate paraphrase, and it really just gives a lot of ugh to this. And then we're going to read it, and then I'm going to go through it. So... Starting at verse uh, 1228, it says this. The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain, but now he has promised... Oh, sorry, that's 26. Whoopsie boom. 28. (laughs) Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart. As we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is a holy devouring fire. Verse 13.1. No matter what, make room in your heart to love every believer and show hospitality to strangers for they might be angels from God showing up as your guests. Identify with those who are in prison as though they were suffering, as though you were suffering with them and those who are mistreated as if you could feel their pain. Honor the sanctity of marriage and keep your vows of purity to one another. For God will judge, the sexual immora- will judge sexual immorality in any form, whether single or married. Don't be obsessed with money, but live content with what you have. For you always have God's presence. For hasn't he promised you, I will never leave you alone, never. And I will not loosen my grip on your life. So that we can say with great confidence, I know the Lord is for me. And I will never be afraid of what people might do to me. Don't forget the example of your spiritual leaders 
who have spoken God's messages over you and take a close look at how they lived their lives and how they ended and then follow their walk of faith. Jesus, the anointed one, is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't let anyone lead you astray with all sorts of novel or exotic teachings. It is more beautiful to feast on grace and be inwardly strengthened than to be obsessed with dietary rules, which in themselves have no lasting benefit. We feast on a sacrifice at our spiritual altar, but those who serve as priests in the old system of worship have no right to eat of it. For the high priest carries the blood of the animals into the holiest chamber as a sacrifice for sin and then burns the bodies of the animals outside the city. And Jesus, our sin sacrifice, also suffered death outside of the city walls to make us holy by his own blood. So we must arise and join him outside the religious walls that, and bear his disgrace. For we have no city here on earth to be our permanent home, but we seek the city that is destined to come. So we no longer offer up a steady stream of blood sacrifices, but through Jesus, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. These are the lambs we offer from our lips that celebrate his name. We will show mercy to the poor and not miss an opportunity to do acts of kindness for others, for these are the true sacrifices that delight God's heart. Obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority, for they keep watch over your soul without resting. <laughs> um, <laughs> since they will have to give an account to God for their work. <laughs> so it will benefit you when you, make it their, when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. <laughs> and keep praying for us that we will continue to live with a clear conscience for we desire to live honorably in all that we do. And I especially ask for you to pray that God would send me back to you very soon. Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ so that he would be the great shepherd of his flock. And by the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, may he work perfection into every part of you, giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. And may he express through you all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus, the anointed one, who is to receive all glory forever. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, I urge you to let your spirits flow through this message of love that I've written to you in these few words. <laughs> I want you to know that our brother Timothy is free again, and as soon as he arrives, here we will come together to see you. We extend our greetings to all your leaders and all the holy believers. The Italian believers also send their greetings. Now may the God of wonderful grace be poured out upon you all. Amen. Man, there is a lot in chapter 13, isn't there? What I want to explain about 13, about chapter 13, and how we sum up and close out the book of Hebrews is there's this, there's this model of communication that you see in the Bible, especially in the epistles which are the letters, and that is the final exhortations. At the end of these letters, you'll, you'll normally see this model in, in the passages where it's like the author is trying to get everything in their heart out to you at the end. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever, um, if you're a parent or if you've had a parent and you have been leaving for something or your kids have been leaving and you're like, make good choices, you know, like that final like, ah, don't die, you know, kind of moment. Or when your kid is going out to college and you're like, yeah, be good, don't get anyone pregnant. You know, like that sort of moment. Right? Be real. right? Like, 
when everything that's in your heart for them to live as you have been trying to get them to live and teach them to live, you have your final moment of like, you know, and like, get it all out. Here's my last words to you. This, you see this modeled in the epistles so many times where the last chapter or the chapter or two, depending on how long-winded the author is, will be these final exhortations. And an exhortation, it's not meant to be this like crushing like command. An exhortation is this heartfelt plea that basically says, from a place of closeness, I wanna come alongside you and implant in you my heart for you so that you can walk the way that my heart pleads for you to walk. Here's my last parting words because honestly in this time and age, there was no guarantee that they would actually ever see each other again or have the opportunity to commute with, you know, communicate with one another again. So every letter bore this importance of like, oh, here's my heart, please hear my heart. And everything that I've said to you, nothing that I say now in this exhortation like contradicts any of it, but it's like, oh, is my heart everything I want to say? Like last bullet points, blah. Make good choices. <laughs> and as we have read through Hebrews and we have this invitation into rest and we have this invitation to partner with the finished work of Jesus, what can unfortunately happen if we do, you know, bullseye devotionals you know, oh, there, okay. It can feel like a list of rules once again. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. When we've just like gone through this whole, Jesus has done it all. And I just want to take this for a moment and I want to, want to contrast something because I, I, you know, we can pendulum swing a little bit. Like when we go from religion, we can pendulum swing to like, I don't have to do anything. You know, it's like, no, we do have to do some things. I want to bring it back because in this exhortation, and we see it throughout all the scriptures, when we're invited into the rest of Jesus, it doesn't mean that we do nothing because it's not a passive rest. It's an active rest of partnership. We walk with him in, in the spirit and we do the things that he's called us to do, not out of religion or that it's on us or that we do it on our own strength, but that we are invited into the partnership of the Holy Spirit. And it's a powerful thing. And it's a life-giving thing. And so what I want to do today in this final exhortation from the book of Hebrews is I want to go through them really fast and, and really spend a minute on these. In verse 28, 12, we see, or 27, nope, 28, <laughs> glasses. We are to give the purest worship that delights his heart. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart. Now, let me say this. We live in a shakable kingdom. This, this is unshakable. And it, this was spoken at a time where the Jewish people, every bit of their religious system has now just been dismantled. And they're honestly, they're waiting for the destruction of Jerusalem. It's going to happen any minute now. They're dispersed among the nations and they're under persecution and everything that seems like sure isn't sure anymore. So they have seen the shaking and they've been invited into an unshakable kingdom of the kingdom of God and what he's given us in Jesus. And it's none of the outside circumstances that we give worship for. It's for what Christ has done eternally for us. Right. From that place of looking at the unshakable, 
We break open in worship to the Lord. And I'll tell you this, like we all have shakable things in this kingdom. Like we can't actually look at our world and go, it's unshakable. No, it's not. There's a 16-year-old Dutch girl that's telling me we're all gonna die on YouTube right now. <laughs> the environmental girl, she's scary and she's really smart. And I believe her, but I don't at the same time. I, this might all pass away, but Jesus is eternal. So we rejoice in the eternal because there are things in our world that are not. They are shakable. And when we look on Jesus and look on his unchanging nature and what he's done, our hearts break open in the purest worship because we serve an unshakable kingdom. But this sets us up to ask the question of what does that worship look like? And 13.1 begins to answer it. No matter what, make room in your hearts to love every believer. It shouldn't surprise us that Hebrews is instructing us to love every believer because love is supreme over all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gives this one new command to us. Love each other as I have loved you. Love is supreme. And it would make sense that to imitate and to take on the life that Jesus appointed and, and provides for us is to walk a life of love. Right. Love your fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. Make room for every believer. Show hospitality to the stranger for they may be angels from God showing up as your guest. Several months back, I preached a message on biblical hospitality. If you didn't hear it, I am right now encouraging you in the strongest terms to listen to that message because hospitality and love for the stranger is a big deal to the kingdom of God. So much so that it's like third on the list of the exhortation of the make good choices from the author of Hebrews as we are being invited into this unshakable kingdom. Worship, love each other, love the stranger. Hospitality is close to the heart of God. You see this in scripture, you know, it's, it's easy for us to love those who love us, but what about our enemies and those we don't know? True love and true hospitality demonstrates itself in people that we don't already have favor for, but they're just in need. Third on the list is an exhortation here. Identify with those who are in prison as though you were suffering with them and those who are mistreating, mistreated as if you could feel their pain. God's heart is close to the brokenhearted. It would make absolute sense that when inviting us into this unshakable kingdom, into this exhortation of what does it look like to live as Jesus has now purchased for us to live like, part of that is to be close to the oppressed and the brokenhearted. And you know what? Let's contextualize this for a minute. Back then, this may have been applying to the believers who are imprisoned for their faith. Fine, dandy, wonderful. Let's be close to those people. But the precept of being close to the believers is one thing. The principle is another thing because the principle applies across the spectrum. Jesus cared about the oppressed and the brokenhearted. And it doesn't matter how you got there. It doesn't matter if it was your own sin 
that got you there, it doesn't matter if it was the oppression of the world that got you there. It doesn't matter what got us brokenhearted and low because Jesus bends down. Jesus bends down to the brokenhearted. I know he didn't care. He didn't, he didn't qualify. When he bent low for me, that it was my own sin and brokenness that got me low. He bent down all the same. You see, that's the gentleness of Jesus. And gentleness in the fruits of the spirit in the Greek is actually translated down to ennoble someone. And to ennoble someone means to bend down and lift them up and impugn on them nobility, to give them nobility. And you know what gives a person nobility? When you give them their humanity back, rather than walking over them, you get down with them. That is the incarnation of Christ coming down from on high to us, the gentleness of God to go low. In fact, Oswald Chambers said it so powerfully in my utmost for his highest. He said, we would be astonished if we recognize the gutters God crawled through with us. I'm feeling it this morning, you guys. You better back up. And I want to say something right now, and this is going to, man, I might get in trouble for this. I don't care. I get in trouble for a lot of things. Uh, my name is Trouble. Um, in our world, there are a lot of politics that play into the idea of oppression. And in our world, we have a lot of it. Believers, I'm not saying ignore law. I'm not saying ignore circumstances. I'm saying if the law and the circumstances rob your ability to be gentle, you got a problem. If the law and the circumstances steal your ability to obey the scripture, then you have an allegiance to the law and not to Jesus. Wow. And it doesn't mean that we don't care about things. It doesn't mean, and I'll say, I'll, I'm just gonna, it doesn't mean that we don't care about things about like immigration or, or racism or, or environmentalism or whatever, whatever the tension point is for Christianity, for the love of God, can we just get the gentleness of Jesus into these things? And yes, it matters. Things matter. They matter. Of course they matter. But not if it steals us from the ability to be like Jesus in the circumstance. We can be good citizens and be like Jesus. We can care about the law and be like Jesus. My dad served as a, as a captain in the county sheriff's office in Yakima County. He was a big boss man in the jail and he impugned nobility to the prisoners there like nobody else. He treated them like human beings even though they were criminals. And when they saw him, there were so many jail breaks there, but when they saw him, they did not come after him. They were like, oh, Barry's here. Barry Essa, Barry is here. Let's just back up. We don't want to hurt Barry. Because he treated them like humans. It didn't matter what they did. They bore the image of God and he treated them with the nobility of image bearers of God. Yes, and he threw them in jail. <laughs> but with gentleness. It can be both, you guys. And we are called to do both. Okay, here we go. Now another, now another passionate one. <laughs> Honor the sanctity of marriage and keep your vows of purity to one another for God will judge sexual immorality in any form, whether single or married. Holy crap. Right. As many of you know, I'm a little bit passionate about this topic. Right. Yes, I am. 
Can I say a few things on this? I had someone recently say, ask me, a sincere believer asked me the question, well, since Hebrews like, says God accomplished everything and Jesus accomplished all and love is supreme, doesn't that make room for us not to worry about homosexuality for, or homosexual behavior for the believer? Didn't God accomplish it all? Yeah. And doesn't that make room? And I was like, for the person, yes, not the act. And here's the reason why. Uphold the sanctity of marriage. Because it's not just about behavior, it's about the image of God. Because God communicates something through marriage and through sexuality that is far beyond our behavior. So does the person have a place here? Yes. Does the behavior? No. And that's not graceless, that's graceful. Because God cares about this. And let me say this, anyone who has ever struggled with sexual immorality knows that God does not have to judge you in the hereafter because there's enough judgment now because of your sin. There's enough consequence. Lord Almighty, I'm not gonna ask a raise of hands on this one. But anyone who's struggled with sexual sin knows there are consequences. And God does not have to throw you into a lake of fire or remove you from his presence forever because the consequences of sexual sin are here and now. That is why he says, uphold purity. And the judgment of God on this, it's not, again, his heart is to refine us. His heart is to bring us into purity. Our heart is to, his heart is to refine us into who he meant us to be. And you know what? The consequences of sexual sin will probably, if you allow God to partner with it, it will lead you into purity. Because our brokenness can be the path that shows us how to get free. Exhibit A. Lord. Don't be obsessed with money, but live content with what you have for you always have God's presence for you. He hasn't, he promised you, I will never leave you alone, never. I will not loosen my grip on your life. We can confidently say, I know the Lord is for me and I will never be afraid of what people may do to me. Okay, have you noticed so far that worship is about love, love your fellow believer is about love, love the stranger is about love, be close to the brokenhearted is about love, sexual intimacy you better believe is about love, and now we have money. Don't love this. Why? Well, because money is not faithful to us. I said it earlier today. You know, money, money goes away. Amen? It's like a fart in a windstorm. It just flies away. You know, it's just gone before. You think you have it, and it's like, kaboom, it's gone. If we look to money to be our security, it is the most insecure thing in the whole wide world. You know, it is more awkward for me to talk about money than it is for me to talk about sex on this stage. We know it is for you because you can... If you're a guest, just... But if you're fam... Okay, baskets. You know, like, all of us struggle with the offering. We're like, don't... I just... Okay, bye. You know, it's like... Money... We are tempted to put our security and our faith in money, and God calls us. If we are people of his presence... We have no love of it. It doesn't mean we don't need it. We all need it. We all need money. Someone's got to pay the bills because we live in a world that needs money. But we should never put our faith in it. It is the most insecure thing out there. It comes, it goes. There's never enough of it. It is so insecure. 
And if we are people of his presence, he's calling us to trust in him because he actually is the one who cares for us. Boy, do I have a story to tell you about this. But not today, next time. <laughs> My Lord, I have something to tell you all. It's, you're gonna love it, but it, it's, oh. Don't forget the example of your spiritual leaders who have spoken God's message to you. Take a close look at how they live their lives and then follow their walk of faith. Yeah, find good examples and walk with them. Imitate the lives of those who are faithful to Jesus. It's funny that it says here, you know, and I see how their lives ended and then follow their walk of faith because you never know where they're going to go wrong. You know, I have a friend, a pastor in my life who says, I only read dead authors. I was like, why? He's like, because they're dead and they can't screw it up anymore. I'm like, oh. Well, crap. I don't necessarily recommend that. I think that we can walk faithfully with Jesus. But I think that there is, um, in this commandment, something to be said of the lives of people who have gone on to live faithfully for their whole lives. We watch their lives and we imitate them. Jesus, the anointed one, is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me say this. The, the truth of that, we need to let permeate our hearts. Because God's character is the same. God is the same God, which means whatever he's done in the past, he can do today. Whatever he's done for anyone, he can do for you. That his heart and his character is not gonna change. If God has said he is merciful, then he's merciful. If God has said he is faithful, he'll be faithful. If God has said that he is loving and forgiving, he's those things. It doesn't change. We often experience every new circumstance as if God has somehow changed his character. And this passage is saying, let us remember who he is. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. He'll be the same forever. That is why we are called constantly to remember what he has done because what he has done is what he'll do and what is what he will continue to do. How he has been towards you is how he will be towards you. He will be forgiving. He will be merciful. He will receive you. He will strengthen you. He will lead you. This is the God we serve. You might have changed, but he didn't. All right. Oh, no. Okay. Um, they have a now a, like a, a countdown till doom now so that we know. I want to go to a passage of scripture. I want to skip forward in this because I think this is super important. If we jump to 17, verse 17, this is what 17 says. Obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority for they keep watch over your soul without resting. Um, I need to address this one. I need to address this one because I feel like if we're really truly gonna break off all religious bondage and we have to, we have to understand this one. I know that many of us in this room have come from legalistic background, maybe. I know I did. In fact, I shared this story last gathering. When I was 18 years old, I went to do an internship at a church in Colorado. And I, I was following the youth pastor that I had been served under. That, I, that was my youth pastor when I was in high school. And I was very broken in those days. I was starved for attention. I was starved for a father figure. I was starving for approval. I would have gone anywhere for this guy. And I went to this church, and I began serving as an intern, and I was barely surviving 
financially, it was, it was a rough pe- period of my life. And about four months into the internship, I remember him saying to me, like, oh, you haven't started your internship yet. I said, what? He's like, I'm just testing to see if you're going to be faithful. So I'm like, when is this going to start? Like, and I kept going. And then right around December, um, I came to terms with the fact that I had a tumor on my chest. And it was, it was a long story. But I was going to go home for the holidays where my insurance actually covered me in network so that I could check to see if I had cancer or not. And I remember telling this youth pastor, I'm going to be gone for the Christmas holiday. I'm going to come back the 2nd of January. Don't worry, I'll be here. And he looked me in the eye and he said, we have a youth event on, January, on December 31st. If you're not back for that, don't bother coming back at all. <sighs> but I have a tumor. My appointment's on the 2nd of January. What do I do? Feeling the enormous amount of rejection Realizing this guy was one of the most ruthless, heartless at that point. I don't know where he is now. So I left, went to the doctor, came back to that city in Colorado to pack up my things and go home. And I remember after serving at this church for six months, this was my youth pastor growing up. This was the most potent example of who I believe God to be. As I was leaving to get in my car to drive the 22 hours back home, he stopped me at the door and he said, you broke a covenant with me in ministry. And because of that, you're going to incur a curse from God. Have a safe trip. You guys, that's spiritual abuse but it finds its root in a distorted teaching of things like this verse. And I can only say that I don't believe this man's heart was necessarily evil. I I have enough maturity in my life to now know he was only repeating what he was taught. And I've forgiven the man, and I bless him in the name of Jesus because I truly do have a lot in my life that I learned from him about following Jesus that was good. And I don't have anger towards him or animosity, although that hurt. So I think that I, I, I want to release something over you guys. This passage of scripture where it says obey. Guys, do you know that the Greek word here that's translated obey actually means be influenced by? Be, be influenced by a life worth imitating. If you see in our lives as leaders, lives that are following Jesus that are admirable, that are encouraging you in your walk, by all means, be encouraged and influenced by our examples. By all means. When it says, recognize their authority, in a lot of your Bibles and the translations, it would say submit, which is where they get that kind of religious overtone. But that word is not actually submit. It carries this implication of seeing something worth following and getting in line with it to follow after it. So essentially this passage is saying, if your leaders have lives that are noble, that are Christ-like, that encourage you, be influenced by them and follow along. Not be controlled by them. They don't have the authority to tell you what to do. In fact, if you go in a counseling meeting with me, I will tell you, I don't have the right to tell you what to do, but here's my advice for my life. You're free to take it or not. 
In fact, you don't want me to tell you what to do. Have you seen my life? Like, don't imitate, I mean, there's, I mean, there are some admirable, like a couple of months back, I was giving a message and I had like a nervous breakdown on it and it was amazingly fun for all of you. And by all, I mean, you don't wanna follow my example into a nervous breakdown in public, but I was honest. I was transparent. I was following Jesus, imitate that. That's noble, not the breakdown, but you're not the mental instability. Follow the transparency. <laughs> imitate that if it has inspired you in Jesus, by all means, follow that example. And also, you don't wanna do what I do for a living. I mean, not this, this is fun, but the other stuff I do for a living, traveling the country, speaking on sexuality, none of you wanna do that, unless you're nuts, but... <laughs> If it encourages you to hold fast to the truth of God and pine out the deeper spiritual truths of what he's saying, then by all means, follow that example. Be influenced by it. But can I forever break off any religious lie that tells you anyone on this stage has the right to dictate your life or choices? Jesus is your Lord, not the Living Waters team or any other pastoral team. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He is the director of your life. But let us encourage you. Can I tell you with all the sobriety and humility I can, we take it really seriously, our influence over your life. And, and we do this because God has called us. God has called me to be an influencer of lives. And I hold that with all the humility and the fear that it carries. But praise God, I don't have the right to tell you what to do. I just have the responsibility to live a life following Jesus in front of you. And hopefully it inspires your life too. I am not perfect, no one up here will be. It doesn't say be imitators of us necessarily. Whatever we're doing that looks like Jesus, be encouraged and influenced by that. Amen? I wanna end a little over my time, but I get in trouble anyway, so I wanna end. By, by the, with this, and summing up something Ryan said on August 8th in one of the messages on, on um, Hebrews 3, 4, and 5 in that general area. We have been invited into the rest of Jesus. He has accomplished this for us, and he's invited us into his finished work, but the rest he calls us to is not a passive rest. It's an active rest. And we see this in Matthew uh, chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and receive rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we walk into the finished work of Jesus, we are walking in partnership with the work he has done on our behalf. It is active rest. That is why an exhortation can say, do these things in the finished work of Jesus. Because when we do what he has called us and empowered us to do, the burden is light when it's in his effort. And Ryan said this, and he we pulled it back to the analogy of the children of Israel waiting to go into the promised land. And he said this, and he said something super snarky, which I loved because I love snarky things. He said that when we're waiting on the promises of God, we don't ring a bell and be like, hey, butler God, come bring me your promises. Because that's passive. But instead, he said this, not necessarily quoting God himself, but I think Taking the, anyway, he said, you want the promises of God? Rise up in your identity as a son or daughter. Yes. Know who you are in him. Know the strength and authority that he's given you. 
get your voice and get your heart and move forward across this terrain that is littered with the enemy and fraught with you know, challenges, but walk in the strength that God has given you and the authority that he's given you. Come get the promises he has for you. Not because he's making you jump through hoops, but because he's maturing us in strength. He's refining us. That is the discipline of God to refine us. Why? So that when we get the promises, we can hold them. They're not in weak hands or weak knees. We have the strength to hold what he has done for us. We have the finished work of Jesus to walk into. And Hebrews has taught us that probably better than any book of the Bible, I think. And I really hope that this journey through this book has encouraged you and freed you. And I hope that today you can take this exhortation, break your lives open in worship to him, love each other, make room for the stranger, bend down to the oppressed, live your lives in purity, don't love money, it won't give you security. Trust in the unchanging nature of God. Look at those who lead you, and what's admirable, follow. Trust him as your savior, for he is God.